With your New Testament, would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? If you have one of these worksheets, you'll need it tonight because we've been doing a series of messages on servanthood. And we're to the point tonight of forgetting like a servant forgets. And I'd like for you to use the worksheet if you have one handy. We've mentioned before that um, the characteristics of, of a servant are these. He is one who gives, who is one who forgives, and who is one who forgets. Giving like a servant gives. Forgiving like a servant forgives, and forgetting like a servant forgets. That's where we are tonight. This is a tremendous, Steve, where are you, buddy? It's a great crowd tonight, I'm telling you for sure. This is unbelievable. I am uh, constantly amazed. At <laughs> All right. All right, it's, bring them in, don't you? I see, I got it. This past Thursday, I went up to see my mother. My mother is about, she's almost 80 and lives alone. She is a widow. And uh, about the last, for about the last year, mother has uh, really had some serious physical problems. And she's getting so forgetful. Um, she gets up on Tuesday and dresses for church and waits for the van to come by and get her and then she gets confused because uh, the church people didn't come and get her and calls the church, loses her keys, forgets to take her medicine, and um, repeats. And so I sat with Mother for about three or four hours uh, Thursday just trying to encourage her and talk with her and listen to her tell me the same thing over and over and over and over because she doesn't recall or remember that she had just told me that. It's really sad. Uh, have you, have you thought, thanked God lately for the marvelous gift of memory? In Wadmaker's book, You and Your Thoughts, he says, quote, the mind is a fabulous computer. Nobody has been able to invent or to, to make a computer that is more efficient or intricate than the human brain. Your brain is capable of storing 800 memories a second for 75 years and never get tired. Isn't that amazing? 800 memories a second for 75 years and never get tired. Said Wadmaker, I hear some people say that their mind is tired. I have news for them. Your body gets tired, but your mind never does. For the human being is, only uses about 2% of his brain power, end of quote. It's obvious that for some it's less than, it's, it's less than that. The brain is able to do marvelous work, and really it never forgets anything. 
Now, when we say that a person is forgetful, that he, he forgets, that's really a misnomer because when that information is captured by the brain, even the peripheral information that we're not even conscious of seeing, it goes into the recorded tape and is never erased. It's just that we lose the ability to recall. If you don't believe that, you test yourself tonight. I'm talking about you who are adults, middle-aged adults. I want you to go home and do something you've not done probably for years. I want you to sit down and I want you to think of the names of every teacher you had in high school. I mean, think of their name, what they taught, and how they looked, what they looked like. And, and you'll see as you begin to think about that, you haven't done that probably ever. Uh, I, I tried this this week, just to think of every teacher I had in high school, their name, what they taught, and what they looked like. And it's amazing how you can bring all that back to the mind, to the memory. Now, if you never forget anything, if you never forget something, then how is it that we are to forget as a servant forgets? If you never forget anything, how is it that a person is, is to forget the offenses that are done to them, the hurts that come to them? How can you forget that if you can't forget? Or how is it if your mind never forgets anything, how is it that you won't keep score of all the good things you've done, you know, and bring that up uh, occasionally? I, you know, remember I did this way back for you, way back there. If you can't forget anything, how can you forget? That's the question. If we talk about a servant forgetting, how is it possible? I want to deal with four passages of scriptures tonight, and I'm going to hurry, and I want you to listen quickly. I want to deal with, with, with three of them just briefly, and then the fourth I want us to nestle down on. So if you have your, new, oh, your Bible, just put your finger there where uh, at Philippians 3, and let's turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 165. The oldest uh, chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, 165. Now, I'm going to hurry, so if you're still turning to that, when I'm reading, that's okay. Those who love thy law have great peace. Ah, look at that. Those who love thy law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Now, the, the Amplified Bible says, and nothing shall offend them or cause them to stumble. Now, the psalmist says that the person who trusts in God and loves His law doesn't remember an offense long enough to make it an offense. A man who trusts in God doesn't remember an offensive thing long enough for it to become offensive. He just puts it out of his mind. He's trusting God. All right, Matthew 7 is the next verse. Matthew 7. Back to the New Testament. Are you, are you with me? Y'all y'all staying out. Not even down on the... On the uh, on the page to the general statement yet. We're just getting ready to get there. 
Matthew 7, beginning at verse 1. Do not judge, lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? Um, now this has to do with memory in this sense. Don't develop, don't allow yourself to develop a judgmental spirit so that you're always nitpicking, always finding this wrong or that wrong. It means that I just won't allow myself to become that kind of person that's always judgmental, nitpicking, complaining. I'm just going to put that out of my mind. I'm just going to lay that aside. I'm not going to be like that. The next verse is 1 Corinthians 13. You already know that uh, verse. Read it every time I do a wedding. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and following. Love is patient and kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now that word does not take into account is an accounting terminology where a person puts it down in a ledger, so to speak. Ah. You did me wrong, I'm going to put it right down here and I'll never forget it. I'm putting it in the ledger. The Apostle Paul says that when you have agape love, when that love just pervades your life, it breaks the fine line lead in the accountant's pen. Love just comes marching in and snaps the pencil in two before you have a, have a chance to write it down. It just doesn't, we just don't keep account of wrong. Listen to this statement by Amy Carmichael. If I say, yes, I will forgive, but I can't forget. You ever said that? I'll forgive, but I can't forget. As though the God who twice a day washes the sand on every beach in the world cannot wash these memories from my mind then I have never experienced Calvary love. Now I want to paraphrase that fantastic statement. If the living God who washes the sand on every beach twice a day in the world, if He cannot wash from my mind these caustic remarks, these cut-downs, these offenses that I just harbor and, and won't forget, if He can't do that, then I've never experienced Calvary love. And I might add something to that. And I will never be a servant. Now, some general statements concerning forgetting. Forgetting means... Now, I, I want you to really hop on this because I don't suppose that I've talked to anybody anymore about how to forgive and forget, you know. I mean, we talked about forgiving last week and, and, and discovered some things, but, you know, forgetting. What does it mean to forget? 
Forgetting means I disregard an offense again and again and again. Psalm 119. I disregard an offense again and again and again. Forgetting means the removal of a judgmental spirit from my makeup. Matthew 7. Forgetting means the removal of a judgmental spirit from my makeup. Matthew 7. Forgetting means I keep no score of wrong. I don't recall it and I don't go around repeating it. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, forgetting does not mean that you erase these things from your memory. We've already established that that is physiologically or physically impossible. It doesn't mean that. Webster gives us some help when he defines forgetting. Listen to this. To treat with inattention or disregard. It means that I treat it with inattention or disregard. To ignore it, and that's a decision of the will. Now, we finally to Philippians chapter 3. I want to begin reading at verse 4. I want to drop back up just a little bit to where you see on your page there, and I want to show you something. Verse 4 of Philippians 3. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more. Now, the Apostle Paul has already said in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not boast. He's not boasting here. As as Al Oliver of the Texas Rangers in the past, Montreal Expo says, when you, you know, it's not bragging, it's just telling the truth. You talk about himself. The Apostle Paul is not bragging, he's just telling the truth. He said, if anybody has some has the right to have confidence in the flesh. I'm the one who does it. I mean, he's beginning, he's fixing to describe what he's like. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Look at what he's putting in the trophy case concerning his life. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law was a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. I mean, what a, what a super-Christian he is. What a super-religious man he is. Not super-Christian at this time. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now look at this. Now, here were these things that were in his memory. Here were these things that were were there in his trophy case. I mean, he couldn't erase them from his memory. He couldn't put them out of his mind and never remember them again. But he just, by the will, disregarded them. He just treated them with inattention. He ignored them, you see. Look at verse 9 and 10. In order that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness which is through, but, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to dwell on these things that I have in my memory. I'm going to set them aside because I have more important things to do. Now, I want you to catch this. 
He said, I want to gain Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. I want to know God. And if long, as long as I hold on to these things and hold them up in my attention and regard them as important, I'll never get there. So I'm going to put these things out of my mind. I'm going to disregard them. I'm going to give them inattention because I've got more important things to do. I've got greater places to reach. Now, folks, it is not possible for us to ever attain this walk with God that is a part of servanthood until we learn how to forget that is, to treat with inattention, to ignore. Okay, how do we do it? Some specific analysis of forgiveness. Get this and we'll be there. First, a statement of vulnerability. Look at this. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained. Verse 13. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, a statement of vulnerability. I'm not a model of these things. I have not yet arrived. God is beginning to say through the apostle that the path to forgetfulness begins with vulnerability. Now let me give you a definition of vulnerability. There are four things I want to say about it in definition. You need to get this. Number one, Vulnerability is a quick willingness to declare need. A quick willingness to declare need. I have a need. Now there's some folk who won't admit that. I mean to go into somebody and say, I need, I have, I'm, I'm not there yet, I need help. That's, that's, a big, that's a big step for some folk. A willingness to say, I need. It's a willingness to say to one another, I need you, I need your help. You are important to me. Can you help me? The willingness to go to somebody that you really have a problem communicating with and say, you have something that I need. I need your help. Secondly, vulnerability is the ability to be open in the admission of wrong or limitation. Open admission of wrong or limitation. It's so difficult for some of us to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I blew it. Or, I don't have the answers. I mean, preachers are the worst about that, to, to try to project that we have the answers. Number three, a teachable spirit, a teachable spirit to learn from anyone. Get that, a teachable spirit to learn from anyone. And then fourthly, a reluctance to appear as an expert. A reluctance to appear as an expert. The statement of vulnerability, before we can ever have the ability to forget. We need to be vulnerable. There is the statement of servanthood. Look at that. He said, I forget what is behind. 
Now, does it mean that he has erased it? No, it means I have disregarded the significance of it. Now, there's not a person here tonight that is honest that would not say that there are a lot of things back there that you just really have a problem ever getting over. Somebody done you wrong, you know, quote, end quote. I just can't get over that. I forget what is behind. And you say, well, the, well, the Apostle Paul certainly hadn't been treated like I've been treated. If you have your Bible right there at hand, hold the place, and I want you to flip over to Genesis chapter 41. I want to show you something. Genesis 41, verse 46 and following. This is the story of Joseph. You know that story? By when he was 17 years of age, he was sold into slavery. He was thrown down into to, to, uh, the prison, into the dungeon. He... Um, he uh, languished his life away there. At the age of 30, we're going to pick up the story. From 17 to 30. Verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from his own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now watch. Now before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph from Azanath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. You say you can't forget? Well, he said, God made me forget. Now look at the next verse. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now there's some folks who say, they, you'll never get over that wrong that's done to you. You'll just always be the victim of it. Not Joseph. He said, God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now what was God able to do in Joseph's life? He, was a, he enabled him to forget all of his troubles and the problems of his father's household. His brother sold him into slavery and he made him fruitful in the land even though the offense had been done to him. You think God can't do that for you? Well turn over to Isaiah. Just We'll just take another check. Isaiah 54, 4. Isaiah 54, 4. You still with me? Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. 
Look at this. But you will forget the offense, the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. I heard this preacher tell us about this lady who, whose husband was just so ugly and cruel to her. I mean, he was just abusive in every way, emotionally and physically abusive. And she lived with him just as long as she could. It was, she was deeply scarred and wounded by his life and actions and attitude and abuse. And so they got a divorce. A few years after that, she met this young doctor. He was such a lovely Christian, and they got married, and they, he brought such joy into her life. One day this pastor saw her after she'd been married to this man, this second husband, for about four years. He saw her one day, and, and he said, Well, uh, tell me how it is. What is it like now in comparison to what it was like then? And she said, Pastor, do you know I don't even remember what it was like then? Now, God is able to do that. I'll enable you to forget the reproach of your widowhood. I'll enable you to forget the hurt of your youth. It doesn't matter if you were born in a terrible environment and were scarred by the abuse of parents, whatever that situation means. God said, I'll help you forget that. Now, the statement of determination. He says, I press on toward the mark. I stay at it. That is, I don't focus on the past. I focus on the future. That's what he's saying. I was driving home from this little out trip down to see my mother, and I was listening to this talk show. And they had on this talk show, they had uh, the uh, new cowboy football coaches. Neil Armstrong, who was coach of the Chicago Bears, and Dick Nolan, who had a disaster down at, at, at New Orleans. And uh, Brad Sham was asking this, the questions of these football coaches, and, and he asked this question, he said, well, he said, what do you think about, you know, uh, last year? And Neil Armstrong, the coach of the Chicago Bears, and they didn't have a very good season either, just to be, you know, to say the least. Neil Armstrong said, I don't look at the past unless I'm going to go in that direction. I forget the past and I press on. Now the practical application. Number one, forgetting reminds me I too have flaws. Forgetting reminds me I too have flaws. If others remembered my flaws or emphasized them, I'd never make it. I don't go back and preach in Monday, Texas, I can promise you that. As a matter of fact, I, I went back and preached a revival about three years ago there, and it's the biggest mistake I ever made. It was just total, total bomb out. You know why? Because they remembered my flaws. To have to forget your failures and your, your offenses just reminds me that I have them too. 
because we're all just alike. Secondly, forgetting enables me to be big and encouraging rather than negative and petty. If I can forget these things or disregard them or treat them as non-important, then that enables me to be big and encouraging. Some pastors were sitting around at lunch and one of them said, hey, did you hear about old so-and-so? You know, did you hear that? Did you hear what's out on him? And another pastor in the group very wisely said, yes, I heard. As a matter of fact, I know something bad about everybody I know. That kind of uh, calmed that little conversation down. (laughs) Forgetting enables me to be big and encouraging rather than negative and petty. Finally, forgetting frees me to live for tomorrow and not get hung up on yesterday. Freeze me to live for tomorrow and not get hung up on yesterday. Boy, I got a lot of things I'm going to do tomorrow. Man, I got so much to do, and some of it's going to be exciting tomorrow. But I'm not going to be able to do a thing tomorrow if I'm hung up on yesterday. Freeze me to do what God wants me to do tomorrow. Bow your heads with me. I wonder if there are those of us tonight who just really need to make a decision for Christ. Forgetting those things which are behind, laying them aside, ignoring them, treating them with inattention. You want to do what God wants you to do today. Perhaps to come as some this morning to give your heart to Christ, to be saved, to join the church, to make that new beginning. Maybe to rededicate yourself to the Lord. We'll give you an opportunity to do that, to do what God invites you to do after we've had prayer. Father, thank you for reminding us of your word again and the importance of just staying right there where you've called us, doing what you've asked us to do. Give us the grace, the courage, the ability to lay aside those things that are so much, so many, so much of our past that hang us up, make us impotent in our ministry, service, Christianity. And I pray tonight, Father, that if there are those you would draw to yourself, that you would. You've been lifted up on the cross, saying, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. Draw them to you tonight, Father. I ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Now, in the spirit of prayer, would you stand? You can sing this song. We invite you to come.